This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. When you deal with stress and you deal with anxiety, now, now stress and anxiety is worrying about yesterday and worrying about tomorrow. And then it, it piles up and piles up and piles up and piles up. And it becomes overwhelming. So it is very much something you need to ground yourself in first, give yourself a firm foundation. And then you can build from there. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Bussin, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn why you should supplement. We'll discuss better mental health in two sentences. We'll find out why your muscles are so tight. And lastly, we'll talk about the essence of mindfulness. But first, a little bit of business. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian owned and has been GMP certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team, headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings, and he's a regular on this show. Welcome back, Gordon. How are you? Very good, Jimmy. Nice to be here again. So we're not talking specifics today. We're going to go general, okay? Because I think this is a question that perhaps we can answer that I think when people talk about nutraceuticals and vitamins and supplements, this is probably the first question that they're going to ask. And that is, why should they take supplements? You know, I look at supplements as insurance. Oh, yeah? It's like, you know, a lot of us, and in all fairness, I would say to everybody, you can get a lot of all the ingredients you need to stay healthy in your diet. The biggest problem is you need to eat a wide variety of different foods from different parts of the world. Yep. And in reality, how many of us actually do that? A very small minority. You know, like even though I'm a health and wellness guy, Mm. I struggle to eat the right amount of vegetables every day. And I, you know, I have vegetables every day, but, you know, as per the recommendations of Health Canada, I struggle to come close. Yeah, even the recommendations of Health Canada, I take it with a pinch of salt too, because none of us actually really know how much of whatever it is we need to get into our system. True. All right. And, you know, the whole idea with supplementation, and and one of the nice things is, fortunately, we live in a first world country where we can get a lot of these things, Mm -hmm. right? Because people think of, if you live in a third world country, for example, you're living closer to nature, you can get a lot of fruits and vegetables. They think that they do really well. But in a lot of these third world countries, you don't get 
a lot of vitamins, minerals, etc., that you actually need. For example, I know for a fact that places like, say Honduras, for example, I know some people who do some charity work in Honduras. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. You think the third world, they're living in a village, Tropical. they should be able to get yeah. a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables. Yeah. But a lot of times, these people cannot get a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables. Right, because everything is seasonal. So it just depends on what's in season. Gordon, you know, I've been to Florida before. We're blessed in the GTA because we have food coming from all over the world. But, you know, you can leave this city. You know, there are food deserts, you know, in the city, around the city, across Canada and into the United States. I've been to Florida where they grow fruits and vegetables and been shocked at how little is available in the stores there. That is true. But what's also important is the one nice thing about the GTA is we get food from all over the world. True. Yep. And the reason that's important is that there are certain things like, say, selenium. There are places in the world where there's very little selenium. Right, And the only reason people can do well with the selenium is because they're getting it in foods that's coming from other places in the world. Right. right. And unfortunately, nobody takes a batch of food, for example, and do a full analysis. And even if you did, it could be there today and it's not there tomorrow just because of the makeup of the soil. Depends on where it comes from. Right. You know, like if we're talking about the foods that we're ingesting, though, I would say that, you know, by now and when I say now, let's say like over the last 10, 20 years where there's been a lot more information about, you know, good nutrition. I think, you know, you could probably say to somebody, if you ate more fruits and vegetables and you ate less processed food and you had less red meat, but you had other clean forms of protein, that's probably going to do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of of getting your nutrition, wouldn't you say? Definitely, but you say yes, what we call the macronutrition, sure, right, and the micronutrition. Fair and enough. Yep, yep. We think of macronutrition and we think that's it, but you know what? The micronutrition separates you from good health, right, to being sufficient health, right? Okay. But let me let me explain what I mean by that. Sure. Yeah. Good health, is, for example, we have the RDA. Okay. If you take your, which is the recommended daily allowance for things like vitamins and so on. That is the minimum amount you need for common Joe to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's no such person as common Joe, right? Yep. For example, I might be common Joe, but you know what? I like to drink a couple of extra beers at night. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, and when I do that, I abuse my system a little bit more. If I took the RDA amount of um, B vitamins or so, I would be deficient. Okay. Sure. If I on certain medications, for example, right? Like right now, there's a lot of people on statin drugs to bring down blood cholesterol. Well, one of the things about statin drugs is that it depletes your body of coenzyme Q10. And so unless I am taking coenzyme Q10 on the side, I might be in a point of coenzyme Q10 deficiency depending on what my diet is, right? And depending on how long I've been taking the statin drugs and depending on how much statin drugs I'm taking, so you have issues like that. Then, you know, like the RDA, for example, of vitamin C is, uh, I believe, is 60 milligrams. Right? right. If I am on a long sea voyage where I'm not getting a lot of fruits and vegetables, my body will be depleted of vitamin C. Or if I am fighting allergies, my body will be depleted of vitamin C if I'm only taking 60 milligrams a day. So I need to take more. Right. The nice thing about supplementation of your common vitamins and minerals, with the quantities that we would consume, it's very difficult to over-supplement because the body has ways of getting rid of extras, right? One of the pluses about, about supplementation is that it's 
saves the body from having to make certain things. For example, protein is an example I use. You can take proteins with, which have a lot of what we call essential amino acids. They're called essential aminos because the essential aminos, the body can take what's called essential aminos and make other amino acids out of it, right? Mm -hmm. But it requires work, it requires biochemistry for that to happen. So the analogy I would like to use is, let's say I'm trying to build a brick wall, right? Mm -hmm. If I give you mud and water, you can build a brick wall because you take the mud, right? You form your bricks, you dry the bricks, then you lay it out. But it takes you a long time to build that brick wall. If I give it to you, now I said, here's the four bricks preformed. I give you all the other things that you have in there. You can build a brick wall a lot faster. So what the idea here is that, you know, if I give you components that are already preformed, etc., you can repair many body systems a lot faster. Can I play devil's advocate sure. for a bit? Because mm-hmm. I'm sure people have heard sort of contra- Opinion. So, for example, you mentioned that the body has the ability to have the vitamins pass through, so we don't have to worry about having too much of the vitamins. But, you know, I've heard reports, I've heard, you know, my doctor friends saying, you know, there's no point to supplementing because the body's just, it's a flow through, right? So, what would you say to that? I would say, you know, for the quantities that's available through your supplementation program, because it's all about how much you take. I mean, Vitamins, anything in large enough quantities is detrimental. And the key is large enough, right? For example, vitamin D is my classic example, right? You know, when you take in the sunshine, if you stand up outside in the sun, the body will make 100,000 IU, you know, per given exposure, and it doesn't seem to affect the body in a negative fashion, right? If you stay out in the sun on an ongoing basis, your body will tone down the amount of vitamin D it actually makes, right? right? So it has a way of regulating vitamin D. Now, if I was to come in and give you 100,000 IU orally on a given basis, on a given day, on an ongoing basis for months and months and months, you will probably end up with vitamin D toxicity. But fortunately, nobody advocates taking 100,000 IU on a daily basis, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things. So you've got to be reasonable in the quantities that you consume. Right, so that's why there's the RDAs, and then you can, you know, if you take more than the RDA, it's not a bad thing. Is it possible that your body would either stop producing or stop metabolizing these vitamins? If you... Well, I don't know. There's not enough studies to say it'll stop metabolizing it, right? Okay. But I do know, for example, with vitamin C, right, one of the things is anything, anything that the body's in short supply of, it has the ability to tone down how much it, gets, it excretes, right? Right. And so... For example, if you have a large dose of vitamin C on an ongoing basis, because there was people like Linus Pauling were saying 20 grams a day, right? Well, when you're taking that quantity of vitamin C, I know your body is not trying to conserve anything, right? right? So yeah. as fast as it comes in, it goes back out. The body takes what the body needs, and it just dumps it, right? It's like when we grow tomatoes and it's tomato harvest season. Well, you know, you might be able to eat five pounds of tomatoes a day, but you're getting 20 pounds. What do you do with the other 15? 
that if you can't find some use for it, it ends up back on the ground as manure for the next crop. Or you might give it to your neighbors, or you might freeze it, but I hear your point is well taken. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, after a while, if all your neighbors are going to admit it, you run out, you yeah, run out of friends who want it. It's true. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's hard to find the giveaways. But anyway, but again, getting back to that, right, so the body will use what the body wants, and then it'll get rid of what it doesn't want, right? Now, I know you'll have people say, oh, well, then why are you bothering to take yeah. it? Well, look, the thing is, sometimes we don't know what the body is missing. It's not as though there's a little computer in the back of my head that says, okay, enough manganese, check. Enough calcium today, check. You know, there's nothing yeah. like that, right? Right. So it's a crapshoot. I mean, you roll the dice, and this is why I advocate eat a large variety of different things. I'm going to play devil's advocate one last time. Mm-hmm. What about those who say, Gordon, you know, the important vitamins are already added to some of our foods in, in any event, like, for example, in, into milk and, and other products, in vitamin C, for example, in, in juices, and etc. So, you know, do we really need to worry about in, it? In all fairness, whatever is added back is not that much. Okay. Like if you look at vitamin D, for you to overdose on, say, vitamin D from milk, do you know how much milk you're going to have to drink? So for you, if you want to get, say, 5,000 IU of vitamin D from right. milk, you're going to have to drink probably gallons of milk to get 5,000 IU. And 5,000 IU might sound like a lot, but it's really not that much. If you're vitamin D deficient, and which, by the way, most people in North America during the winter months are vitamin D deficient. Particularly in Canada, because we're so far north. Yep. Yeah, and and in all fairness, they used to measure vitamin D for people. Nowadays, the doctors don't even bother doing that. They just assume you're going to be um, vitamin D deficient. That's because the data showed that everybody was vitamin D deficient. Well, vitamin D is even more important now with COVID, because they're, they're they're showing that vitamin D helps with some of the effects of COVID, should you catch it. Yeah, and again, you know, vitamin D does play a big role, right? But again, this is another example of why supplement, because you don't know what life is going to throw you away. And there are certain things that, like, for example, if you're under stress, use up a lot more B vitamins, Sure. right? Yep. And if you don't supplement the B vitamin, you will be running a, a deficiency in B vitamins. Now, in all fairness, most people here in North America eat enough, and with the body's ability to conserve certain vitamins, they're not going to show what I call classic deficiency symptoms, right? But you will be what's called subclinical deficient, right? And by that, I mean your body will use vitamin D or vitamin B or B2, B3, whatever, if it's sitting around, right? But if it has to look for it, it has to prioritize what it's going to be using it for. So you you can see where you could be in what I call a subclinical health category just because you're not supplementing. Right. My philosophy is better to have too much and your body get rid of it, right, than not having enough. Okay, so that brings me to my next question, which is, what are your thoughts on megadosing? I don't believe in megadosing. I believe in higher dosing than recommended, right? Megadosing usually means that if five milligrams is good, we're going to take a, a hundred times that. Right. No. All right. If you five milligrams is good and you want to say take five times that, I'm good with that. Right. I, so, I don't so where's mega dosing on anything like that. So where's the cutoff, Gordon? So like if a listener's listener might be scratching their head, so two or three times is okay, but anything more isn't or like? no, what I would say you do it on a if you five times on a regular basis would be okay on an ongoing basis. But again, I have to put a, a little um what do you call it? Asterisk? I, I have to say, yeah. 
to say something against that because it's individual dependent. Sure. Right? Yeah. There are people who have potential issues with, with higher doses than normal of, of any supplement you give, right? And this is what I call the Joe Average effect. When I talk about saying five times the, the regular recommended doses like the RDA, for most people, not a problem, right? There are people who I know who are, for example, iron, right? There are people who have high doses, who have high iron content in their blood. So if I was to give them iron, that would definitely be a no-no, right? right? But then there's regular Joe, which is me, whose iron is eh, regular, <laughs> right? And yeah. if I was to take five times a recommended dose, it's probably not going to be a problem. Well, that makes total sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We'll hear back from you next month. Definitely. Fantastic. Nice to be here, Chief. Nice to have you. That was Dr. Gordon Chang. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. (sighs) Does the fear of losing control keep you awake at night? Enjoy better sleep on something you can control. The Supreme Adjustable Bed by Ultramatic. Customize your back, leg, neck, and lumbar positions with push-button control for relief of back pain, arthritis, and sleep apnea. The Supreme. Take back control of your life. Try Ultramatic's Supreme Adjustable Bed for 100 nights, risk-free. Learn more at ultramatic.ca. Elevate your sleep. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Centre is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8300 square foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. After spending more than 40 years on television, Kevin Frankish is in the midst of a reinvention. As a longtime mental health advocate, he's using his experience to reach out to others in a podcast and live stream about mental health called Happy Molecule. The Happy Molecule, by the way, refers to dopamine, one of the hormones produced by our body responsible for pleasure. The focus of his content centers on positivity and good advice as we face the worst mental health crisis in generations. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I am doing well, Jamie. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm glad you're here. You know, I've been talking about what I think is the real fallout from COVID for months now, and I think people are starting to get it. There's a lot of mental health issues out there that people are suffering from. And I think, you know, at a minimum, what I'd like to do for our listeners is let them know they're not alone. And, yeah. and you know, I think hearing about other people dealing with mental health issues and, and sort of working through issues, I think is tremendously helpful. You're so right, because what we need to realize now is that the mental health issues that we now face and the crisis we now face is going to long, long outlast COVID itself and honestly could last for generations. Yeah, particularly with the kids. But let's see if we can help people. So you have a theory that there are two sentences that sort of set the foundation for better mental health. What are those? 
Well, you know what? When we deal with mental health, and, and keep in mind that, that, you know, when we have mental health issues, anxiety, of course, which is, is, is one of the, the, the big things, you know, anxiety is caused by being overwhelmed. Yep. And we overwhelm people when it comes to mental health care. So, so it's sort of like a double-edged sword. Right. So I like to simplify I like to really just start from the very basics, and there are two sentences that I, I say are the very basics. The first one is, you are not alone. Yeah. Just plain, simple, a start. Because one of the issues, and I know when I had my very first panic attack back in 2006, I honestly felt so alone. I cried. I remember. I thought I was done. I thought my career was over. Uh, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. So I felt alone. Mm-hmm. But then... I, you know, the next day I went on the air and I told people what had happened because I just had to have an explanation for them as to why I left the show because that's what I had done. Mm-hmm. And I got, at the time, this was before social media, I got 1,500 emails from people oh, wow. saying, I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one. Here you had 1,500 people who thought they were by themselves when they were part of a much larger group. And it's not that it makes it better. It just makes you feel as though, wow, okay, I am not being victimized here by mental health. I am not alone. And, that, and that's a start. So the other sentence is, and this is really important, it's a great place to start with any mental health treatment. It can be okay. That, plain and simple. This is possible. If you do the work, then hope is possible. Hope is there, you can get over this, you can beat this, because again, one of the thoughts you have is, I'm going to have this for the rest of my life, and I'm, gonna, I, I'm never going to know when, when I'm going to have another anxiety attack, or I'm not going to be able to get out of bed. But once you tell people it can be okay, okay, let's sit down, now let's do the work. Right. So that sounds very much like, like I don't know how many steps there are to the process that, that you have in mind, but it sounds like a grounding, you know, like let's approach this a little bit incrementally and not be overwhelmed by both the mental illness or perhaps the cure. Does that make sense? Very much so. Yeah, because when you deal with stress and you deal with anxiety, now, now stress and anxiety is worrying about yesterday and worrying about tomorrow. And then it, it piles up and piles up and piles up and piles up, and it becomes overwhelming. So it is very much something you need to ground yourself in first, give yourself a firm foundation, and then you can build from there. They're, they're doing construction on this building across from where I live right now, and I've been watching them. And it's going to be a, you know probably about 22-story building, I think. And oh my gosh, they spent a year doing the foundation. Right. Like it was just like, is this building ever going to get built? And then once they finished that, the building went up quickly. So they were worrying about the foundation first, giving it something solid so that in the future, the building's not going to fall down. The foundation is never the sexy stuff, right? Like when you go to sell your house, right? The most important stuff is the mechanical, yeah. you know, the pipes, the electrical, which nobody wants to spend money on, right? It's the sexy interiors. It's, it's, your, it's the marble in your kitchen that everybody cares about. But the truth of the matter is it is the basics, the foundation that really determines what kind of home you're going to have. So I understand your analogy perfectly. Why do you think it's so important that we not feel alone and that we not feel like we're the only ones who are suffering from mental health issues? You know, it's like, uh, let's say you've never sneezed your entire life, okay? Or, or you've never been around people who have ever sneezed. And then one day you're by yourself, you're in your house, and you sneeze. Right. And when you think about it, think about a sneeze right now. It's a pretty violent action. 
Sure. It is something that if you didn't know what it was, it would scare the hell out of you. But you would sit there and you would think, there's something wrong with me. This is unique. This, this, is, this is a, a one-off thing. But then you talk to someone else and say, oh, yeah, that's a sneeze. And this is what it is. Well, all of a sudden you feel, okay, good. All right. So this is not something that's unusual that I can actually reach out beyond these four walls that I've sort of confined myself to and let other people know. So, you know, there's strength in numbers. It is so true there is strength in numbers. Mm-hmm. And getting support is not a sign of weakness, right? Like it's, it, it's getting the help you need makes you a better person. And then, you know, you can pay it back in kind and help others too, right? When you reach out and you seek support, it is entirely the opposite of a sign of weakness. It is the opposite. It is a sign of strength. It is a sign that I am taking command. I am taking control. That strength, that takes strength. Sadly, the weakness is laying back and just not reaching out and not sharing. I think you said something before that, you know, is very profound and and perhaps we should sort of expand upon it. And and you said understanding that it, it can be okay. Not that it's going to be, but that it can be, right? Because if you say that it's going to be, then you're abdicating responsibility for for propelling it forward. But that the possibility exists that things will be okay creates a sense of hope. And and then from there, you you can build upon it, right? And that's the four-letter word that we all want, hope, right? When you talk about depression, my theory is that the opposite of depression is hope. If you have hope, it would be difficult to stay stuck in the doldrums of depression. Depression in general is hopelessness, that it's not going to be okay, that there's doom, Uh, the world is is coming in on me. But when you have hope, you have a reason to dig yourself out. And you have a you have you have a reason to try for tomorrow. How can you develop hope? Like, for example, I'm a glass half empty guy. That's just the way I think. I was a lawyer for 20 years and you kind of get a cynical, skeptical mind. It it becomes inbred. And for me, it's difficult sometimes to see the positive side of things. But I get you're the perhaps the type of person that that maybe is, is better at that. So what are some of the things that you do to help you sort of create that sense of hope? Like, how do you get there? The first thing you, you really have to do is you have to change your own attitude. And that, that can be difficult, but it can be done. It's work. You know, we, we know that, that if we go on a diet, you know, your chance of, of carrying through that diet are, are slim to none, right? <laughs> You're going to be really good and strong with it for four or five days, heck, maybe even a week. And then you sort of lose hope. So the very first part has to come from you. There is no magic cure here, and there's no, there's no pill that is going to to make this all better. So it has to come from you. So you have to very, very first and foremost say, I'm going to hope. I am going to hope. And then you know what? You're going to fall off that wagon in a couple of days. But then you say to yourself, it's okay. I'm going to hope now. And you just keep being gentle with yourself and keep bringing yourself back to really changing that attitude. Now, it may take days, weeks, months, even years. But it, if you keep doing that, it will work. You just have to keep being gentle with yourself. Don't get angry at yourself for falling off that, uh, that wagon. But it's just a matter of very gently and very slowly changing an attitude. And it's okay. The other thing, too, you have to remember, it's okay to fail. Yep. It is okay. That's normal. That's human. So 
you know, what are you going to do? Are you, are you just going to sit there and, and allow yourself to fail? Or are you going to do something because you are worth it, you are important, and you deserve to be happy? I think with, you know, there's a lot of talk now, oh, the, the pandemic is over. We're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that's going to change people's expectations. I think people that are struggling are going to say, okay, now, I, you know, the pandemic has given me an excuse maybe, but now we're coming out of it. And I would think that would be kind of a scary idea for somebody who's suffering that now there's expectations that, every, you know, it's going to be a big party after all this. What do you think about that? That is such a good point, Jamie, because we just want this to be over. Yeah, exactly. And when, and when it's over, everything will be fine and everything will be right. good. Well, there's, there's two groups of people. There are the people who have been living with depression since before the pandemic. Right. There have been a lot of studies that show they're actually doing better during the pandemic. Yeah. Because one of the problems you have with depression is you don't want to do anything. You don't want to go out. You don't want to meet people. Well, hey, this is great. I don't have to go out. There's no pressure here. So there have been some people who have shown some signs of improvement in their depression. But now they're worried, holy crap, we're getting back to life. I'm going to have pressure again to go out exactly, and to, and to meet people. So that's the one group. Then there's the other group who never really recognized depression in themselves before, before all this happened. And... You know, they now are facing a social anxiety that they don't realize yet. Yeah. They, they just say, this is going to be over. Thank goodness we can get back to it. But now, what's it going to be like the first time you get on a streetcar that's crowded? Right. What's it going to be like when someone sneezes in your office? Yep. You know, we are in for an unexpected round of mental health issues when this is all over because we're not preparing ourselves. Agreed. Well, I'd like to explore those issues another time, unfortunately, because we're out of time. Will you come back again? I would love to. And at that point, I want you to be telling me that you're working on being a glass half full guy. Wow. You may have to come back more than once for that, but I promise you I will try. How about that? Okay, that's great. That's all I can ask. That was Kevin Frankish. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss muscle tightness on the tonic. Looking for natural supplements to boost your immunity? New Roots Herbal can help. Whether it's rebuilding your immunity after an illness or simply maintaining a healthy immune system year-round, New Roots Herbal is here for you with a wide range of proven formulations. Discover Protector, Astralgus 8000, Ultra Zinc, and their best-selling Vitamin C8. If you're looking to build your immunity from within, look no further than New Roots Herbal, available exclusively at your local health food store. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Dr. Aaron Boynton, or Dr. B, is an orthopedic surgeon with a unique approach to musculoskeletal pain, blending both the art and science of medicine. As the first female orthopedic surgeon in the MLB and the NHL, she's had extensive experience dealing with overuse or wear and tear injuries. Welcome back to the show, doctor. How are you? Doing great, Jamie. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm feeling loose, 
which is always good. <laughs> but but sometimes I feel tight, and that's usually because I've got tight muscles, and I think I'm not alone. <laughs> oh, you're definitely not alone. This is a very common problem. So today we're going to talk about tight muscles, and I'm going to use the hamstrings as an example. But the principles that we review today really refer to all muscle tension. Yeah. Okay. That's good. And you know, the hammies, you know, I used to play basketball a lot when I was young and my hamstrings were always a problem just because of the nature of the movement and playing basketball. What are hamstrings for those who don't know? So hamstrings are a group of three muscles that are along the back of your thigh and they attach the hip to the knee. And because they cross two joints, the hip and the knee, they've got a complex function. They bend or flex the knee, and then they extend the hip. But one of the key things they do is actually slow our body down when we land from a jump or when we're sprinting and uh, help us to uh, change direction. So they're busy. Yeah, like like shock absorbers, right? So I used to play center. I'd be jumping up for rebounds. And of course, coming down, that's when you can do some damage to your hammies. 100%. 100%. And I used to get something, you know, people know it as a Charlie horse, right? They are not fun. No. And I would get them pretty severely. It was pretty scary when I would get them, like intense pain. But what does a tight hamstring feel like? How do we know if, if they're tight? So everybody could just try this themselves. They can sit on a chair have their hips bent at about 90 degrees and their feet flat on the ground. And I want you to put your hand just against your back so that you can tell if your back's moving because I don't want your back to move during this. Mm -hmm. And what you do is you just lift your foot off the floor and try to straighten your knee. Mm -hmm. And you may feel a really tight sensation along the back of your leg. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it can be quite painful. And it, it is probably one of the most common tight muscles that I encounter in my medical practice. If when you do this move, you round your back Mm -hmm. and you don't feel any pain in the back of your thigh, it's because you cheated. Rounding your back actually has occurred because your tight hamstring has pulled your pelvis forward. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that you know whether you have a tight hamstring and deal with it. As I said before, I am loosey-goosey. I could do that and there was no pain. So yay for me. Wow. I'm impressed. Yeah, well, you know, I work at it, so it's not that impressive. (laughs) (laughs) But why do hamstrings always seem to be a problem for, for your patients? Why is it? So hamstrings and many other muscles will get too tight when they're doing a job that they're not meant to do. Okay. So you look at a hamstring, it's a generally a fairly long muscle on the back of the leg. And yes, it helps to extend the hip. But the main muscle that's supposed to extend your hip is the glutes. And that's a very different shape. And so when we sit and our glutes go to sleep, then the hamstrings take over. And so they're always doing a job of extending the hip when they're really meant to be more of a, a helper than the prime mover. And so when they're doing that job that they're not meant to do, they get tight and they get weak. And I think, you know, what's unspoken there is all of us are sitting on our rumps the whole day, really. That's why it's a problem is because we're all sitting at desks or we're sitting watching the TV or whatever it is we're doing. We're sitting. 100%. And, you know, driving in yep. planes. We don't go in planes anymore. No. Maybe that. Maybe that's why your hamstrings aren't so tight. Maybe. Around, I, yeah, well, I'm not much of a world. You know, the truth of the matter is I because I had problems with them when I'm younger, I'm very cognizant of what I need to do to keep them loose. That's the truth of it, right? Like it only had to be demonstrated to me how bad they were and that's why they're good now so 
Well, it's true. One Charlie horse, and it's good incentive to uh, keep your hamstrings loose. <laughs> exactly. So I know the answer to this question, but you know, I think maybe our listeners don't, and that is, you know, will stretching solve the problem? Yes. Uh, I sorry, I shouldn't have answered that. Yes, because the actual answer is no. Right. Stretching will not solve the problem, and the reason is is that stretching doesn't get to the root issue, which is the lack of glute strength and glute activation. Right. And I, you know what? I didn't know this at the beginning of my medical practice. Uh, they don't really teach us this well in medical school. And I had really tight hamstrings after a pregnancy, hmm. and I had some back pain. And every day I was stretching my hamstrings and, you know, doing the classic, you know, foot up on the chair and mm-hmm. leaning forward. And I would get a little bit of extra length, and, I, and my back would feel better. And I'm thinking, oh, this is great. But the next day, I'd be right back to square one. And I started thinking about it more, like, what is going on here? And that's when I really started to understand the principle of getting to the root cause of why my hamstring is tight and fixing that. And so then I started doing some glute bridges. Mm-hmm. And when my glutes turned on and got stronger, my hamstrings just relaxed because they didn't have to overwork. Yeah, and glutes are good because you know you can do a body weight, or if you happen to have weights around the house, you can use them too. And it's it's not a difficult exercise. For sure, for sure. And you know you can get to a point where you just want to learn to turn them on. You can stand, right, and just squeeze your your bum, yep. and that is a great way of just turning them on and keeping them alive and active. I do a lot of squats and I was under the impression that that helps too. Do the squats help? Oh, for sure. Partly because they will strengthen the glutes and partly because there's a rhythm between the glutes firing and the hamstrings firing. And if you don't have proper rhythm when you're doing the squat to maintain your alignment, then your hamstrings will kick in before your glutes and you run into problems. So it's a great way of basically fine-tuning the orchestra, so to speak. Right. And there's like so many variations on squats that, uh, you know, they're not the most exciting exercise, but, you know, you can do goblet squats, you can do, you can do them when you can do W squats and you can hold your squat down at the bottom for a little bit longer. All these things only help with your core strength, which I presume having that core strength will help you with the rest of it. For sure. One thing I really like to do is when you're at the bottom of the squat, and this is without any weights, yeah. you would just put your hands on the outside of your knees yeah. and you gently push out so yeah. that you're activating the little hip abductors and then you move your hands to the inside of your knees and squeeze so that you're activating some of the internal rotators and adductors. And so it again is bringing more muscles into the action. And the more muscles you have working together, the less stress that one individual muscle faces and therefore less tightness in any one individual muscle. I find wall sits are a challenge, which is sort of like a high, it's it's kind of like an offshoot of a squat, but I actually find those harder than the, the squats themselves. But I can feel sort of the glutes activating. Like you, you can be mindful and activate them while you're in a wall sit and that might be good for people. I don't know. Oh, for sure. It's a good regression actually to actually use a ball. Yeah. Uh, up against the wall. You do have to be careful that you're getting your glutes involved and you're not just using your quads and that you're maintaining good alignment, but it's a very good starting point. And I think that uh, form and technique are important, that doing an exercise properly is key. You don't want perfect practice makes perfect. (laughs) You don't want to be practicing the wrong movement pattern. When we were allowed to get massages, uh, you know, I found that I felt better 
after getting the massage, but then, you know, the tightness would still come back. Why is that? So it's very similar to the stretching. You're not getting to the root cause of why your hamstrings are too tight. I do think that a massage can be a great adjuvant to doing your glute bridges and your activation because it will release some of the fascial bands that could have developed between the hamstring muscles themselves and the glutes. You feel better. But the key then is to then turn on your glutes so that the tight hamstrings don't recur. Okay. So I I think I know the answer to this question that, you know, our muscle groups are all sort of interconnected. So will having hamstring issues affect other parts of my body, like my back or my knees, for example? For sure they will. And and what happens uh, is that when you get the tight hamstrings, it changes subtly the alignment of your pelvis, the alignment of your knees, and even down into your foot and ankle. So it's really important that we pay attention to tight muscles in our body and try to understand why that muscle is being overused so that we can engage the other muscles in our body so that it can, the, the tight one can relax. It was really interesting, a study, a recent study was just done on sprinters and sprinters who had suffered from an ankle sprain were much more likely to suffer a hamstring injury. Mm-hmm. So. The interconnectedness of our body is so true and becoming more and more apparent to me as I age and look at all of this. Yeah, 100%. So we have time for one last question, and we've spoken about a few exercises. You've mentioned the glute bridge. Is there anything else that people can do to help with their hamstrings? Any other like small exercises? So a good trick is to actually turn the quadricep muscle on because... When we turn muscles on the opposite side of our body on, it sends a signal for the other side to relax. So you can uh, stand with your foot up on a chair, a low chair, like a traditional hamstring stretch, but mm-hmm. instead of just passively leaning into the, your, your heel into the chair, you can turn your quadricep on and try to straighten your knee and use your glute to push down into the chair. And that'll create length in the hamstring and turn on the glute and the quad to relax the muscle as you go. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Will you come back again soon? I would love to come back. Thanks so much for having me. It's always great chatting with you, Jamie. For me as well. That was Dr. Aaron Boynton. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. 
Tracy Sograti has an eclectic background in molecular biology, psychology, and nursing. She practices psychotherapy and yoga therapy and has over 20 years of experience in leading classes, workshops, and events. She believes that the tools of mindfulness pave the way for deeply meaningful life at any stage. You can find her at SograttiYoga.com, Sograti Yoga on Facebook, or at Tracy Sograti on Instagram. Welcome back to the show. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. I love being here with you. Me as well. So we're going to do a little primer because, you know, you never know who the regular listeners are and who hasn't experienced the show before. We're growing, we're getting bigger and better, and that means new listeners. And that means maybe it's time to sort of edify the folks on, you know, the benefits of mindfulness and what it's all about and how it can change their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I was thinking about this show and I thought, you know, when I teach mindfulness courses, one thing I'm always aware of is that I'll get practitioners who've been practicing for 15 or 20 years and I'll go over some of the concepts I'm going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. And it's like a light bulb goes off for them because when they first learn mindfulness, they just couldn't take it all in. And so this stuff was maybe glossed over, but I think it's critical. So I'm really excited. It's always good to go back to the basics. I mean, like here's an analogy for you that's completely inappropriate. I mean, I play poker quite regularly, right? (laughs) But so, but I will go back. I have some like handbooks and textbooks on, you know, proper poker play. No, I do. And every so often I have to go back and remind myself like what makes me a good player because I'm a good player. So I, I have no doubt about that. So there you go. So poker isn't for everybody, but is mindfulness? Yeah. Okay, great question. It can be practiced by everyone, but there needs to be an appropriate foundation. And I feel like this is not attended to in the general sort of meditation world. So there's a couple of things. Number one, you have to be motivated to practice. So mindfulness is one of those things that works really well when you do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep. So you have to think about the way that your brain works now and however old you are, if you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever, your brain has been in a habitual loop uh, having, you know, somewhere around 60,000 thoughts a day in a particular sequence for that many years. So you can definitely change your brain. Your brain is neuroplastic. That ability is there, but you have to be motivated to do the practice very regularly in order to get that. Yeah, it's like working out, right? Like, yeah, sure, you could be a weekend warrior, you know, once and, you know, go for a hike once a month, or you could exercise regularly and the difference is manifest, you know. Yeah, yeah. I remember once I calculated the calories of 10 chips. I don't know, it was like 100 calories. And you don't think much if you eat just 10 chips, right? Of course. But if you multiply 10 chips by 365 days, like, it's it's like, I think it's like 11 pounds a year or something like that, right? And nobody, nobody has just 10 chips let's be clear exactly exactly so so this is the thing the practice builds on itself but you have to be motivated to sit with yourself every day the other way that this practice can go very wrong Mm -hmm. there are really two is if you are someone who is really highly Mm self-critical and you're asked to do a kind of mindfulness that's called open monitoring, and we'll unpack that a bit later, mm-hmm. without cultivating this very specific attitude called COAL, that's the acronym, and we'll unpack that in a minute, mm-hmm. then you can end up feeling really bad about yourself. Yeah. See, now I do tend to be self-critical, and it's mm-hmm. all for me, the mindfulness exercises have always been a challenge yeah. because I'm already, like, I'm already introspective. Very introspective. And 
you know, I would say if you're an introspective person, the one thing that you might want to attach mindfulness to is, is actually to move forward from it. So that, you know, yeah. like if, if you're going to be that type of person, which, you know, people are who they are, you might as yeah. well benefit from it and you yeah. can actually learn something about yourself by these exercises. That's what I would say. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that really plays into the attitude that we're going to unpack today because it's so critical. The other thing I wanted to mention, because, you know, there's a lot of listeners who might be veterans. So for people who have, say, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, yep. mm-hmm. Often when they are told to sit, because when you're taught sort of traditional meditation, you're taught to find a comfortable seat and then be very still. Mm -hmm. Well, if you've got a body that experiences a lot of arousal, so fast breathing, muscle tension, a lot of aches and pains, sitting still like that can feel like your own personal hell. It really can. And so in those cases, I always advise that people start with moving meditation. So something like yoga, because it's just your body's going to receive it much more effectively. So you mentioned a moment ago about coal. So why don't we start there? Yeah. So this is the attitude. If you're, it doesn't really matter if it's mindfulness meditation or any other kind of meditation or self-examination. If I could give you this today, I mean, you'd win the world. And it's the attitude that you express towards yourself. So the C stands for compassionate curiosity. And you can extend this to yourself or to others, but it means when something comes up for you, instead of going into this place of judgment or uh, self-criticism, it's just kind of taking a step back and looking at yourself, right? So sort of theoretically, and from this, like, very curious and gentle place, going, hmm, I wonder what that's about, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than going into this place where you're jumping into either problem solving because you want to make the thought or the feeling go away, or a place of sort of repressing it. So compassionate curiosity. Okay. The O is openness, and that means cultivating an attitude of welcoming. So when you sit with yourself, just like you referred to earlier, you know, that you might learn something about yourself if you're introspective and think about it that way, it means welcoming whatever shows up. Because if you resist it, it will persist. The A stands for acceptance and awareness. So you're slowly building your awareness so that you can actually handle more. You'll get more resilient. You'll be able to tolerate more. And as you build your awareness, you're also accepting all of the things that are maybe uncertain or outside of your control. Mm -hmm. And the L stands for loving kindness. So when you notice that you are being ridiculously hard on yourself, you can think of the way you would treat someone that you absolutely adore, someone beloved to you. You don't usually get a lot of philosophy from listening to a sports channel, but I was listening to uh, an interview of a rookie Raptor, Fred Gillespie, who said it's his policy that he never tells himself something that he would be afraid to say to somebody else. In other words, like if you wouldn't say, oh, you know, you're you're an idiot to somebody else. Well, why say that to yourself? Why internalize those thoughts if you would never say that? I think it's brilliant, actually. Yeah, no, it, it is brilliant. And that, that's the essence of what we're talking about. And you just did your brilliant thing that you always do. You just delivered it in a nutshell. It's exactly what we're talking about. Don't say something to yourself that you wouldn't say aloud to someone else, especially to someone that's beloved to you. There you go. So 
So you, yeah. you mentioned a distinction between open monitoring and focused attention. So, so what is that yeah. and, and where do we go with that? Yeah. So often when people learn mindfulness, there's sort of two ways that you can do it. Open monitoring means you sit. And what you're supposed to do, and this is in an ideal world, is you're supposed to sit and watch your thoughts come up without interacting with them. And in my experience, you know, I've been teaching meditation practices for 20 years. And in my experience, for novice meditators, that is near to impossible. Because what happens is a thought comes up and you cognitively fuse with it as if that's true. And then there's a whole story that you start telling yourself about the thought. And then that's not really meditation. That's just ruminating. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what I generally advise people to do first is to practice focused attention. And what that looks like is sitting down and deciding what you're going to focus your attention on. So for many people, it's the breath because it's a very easy focus and it also calms you down to breathe slowly. Mm -hmm. So what happens is you focus your attention on your breath. And again, many people will come to meditation and say, well, I tried doing that and I can't meditate because I, I try to focus on my breath and then I notice I'm thinking about something else. And what everyone needs to understand is that's normal. That's yeah. normal. That is what your brain does. Your brain is made to think and make connections. And this is a type of training. So just like you would train for a race or just like you know you would plan to work out every day, it's the same thing here. You're you're going to be able to focus your attention maybe for a couple of seconds at first, and then you'll notice that you're distracted. As soon as you are aware that you're distracted, you lovingly bring your attention back to your breath. And you might have to do that a thousand times, you know, okay. in your first year. But gradually, that focused attention will start to elongate. And it's only when people can sustain their attention in that way where they've got a little more control over the reactions of the mind do I suggest that they start to engage in open monitoring? Interesting. Where, yeah, because you've just you've got a little bit of distance between you and what your brain is doing, right? Because by honing your focused attention, you're learning like, oh, here, look at, I can watch my brain jumping from this thing I want to focus on into this story. Okay, now I'm going to bring it back. Now, when you've built up that muscle, right, it's like increasing weights at the gym. When you've built up that muscle, it's much easier to go to this more difficult task because you've got a foundation of strength there. Without it, it, you can often cycle through these really negative thought patterns. That makes a lot of sense. Unfortunately, and I know there's more we need to talk about this, and maybe we'll do it next month, but we are yeah. we're out of time now. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You'll come back and expand again, yeah? Always, always. I can't wait, Jamie. Fantastic. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Kevin Frankish, Dr. Aaron Boyton, and Tracy Sograti. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. And to find out more about the show, you can always follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The May-June issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to every single home subscriber in Toronto west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss more health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, 
This is Jamie Bosson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.